Welcome to the Word Podcast. The Lord God has given us His Word. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us rejoice in it. Spread the Word. Blessings, everybody. This is Dale. Thank you so much for joining with me today on the Word Podcast. Uh, we continue our examination of the Word of God out of 1 Timothy, and we're in chapter 3, and we saw portions of the first two verses yesterday, and I want to uh, continue on there. It's actually, uh, how long is this first sentence? You know how Paul is. He has these long sentences. I think the first sentence is six verses long. Is that right? I'm scrolling through. Oh, I'll take it back. The first verse is one sentence, and then verses two through six is another sentence. <laughs> So anyway, he does have these uh, long sentences. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's go back and look at verse 1 again. It says this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. And so I sort of like the way that the Lexham says it. If anyone aspires to supervision, you know, these things with these offices, the office of overseer, the office of bishop is what the King James um, calls it. And that's just really based upon the uh, uh, the Greek word, the episcopo, okay? And all that means is, is overseer, somebody who supervises. So if someone aspires to the position of supervising in the body of Christ, that's a great thing. He calls it a fine work. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a fine work that you desire to do. The problem arises when someone aspires to this and their motivations are wrong. And boy, we see that uh, on, um, I will just say that <laughs> it's normative for the motivations to be wrong. I will also say that it's nothing new because of what the Spirit leads Paul to write in the next verses. Because he describes the qualifications <clears throat> of someone who is an overseer. In other words, this is what your character should be like. And when you see the things that are mentioned uh, and related to the character, you'll see the arena of temptation. Okay, So he says in verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach. He must be uh, blameless, as the King James says. Uh, the Lexham says irreproachable. In other words, people, he does not have things in his life that people will speak against to be bringing up. Now, that doesn't mean that people won't do that. Okay, we mentioned that yesterday. And again, at the time that we're doing this recording and this time together, uh, we're seeing that on a daily basis in the political realm. We see that everywhere, that people are dredging up things from 40 years ago, that somebody just makes an accusation. And there's no truth to it whatsoever, and there's no way to prove it. It's the classic she said, he said thing. But the media just ramps it up and takes off with it that if there is an accusation, then it must be true. And you're going to have that kind of stuff. And it's going to increase. We know that. It will increase because it is a way to attack the kingdom of God. Okay, We'll see it increase. But this person must be someone that we know does not behave in ways that will be detrimental to the kingdom. So he must be above reproach. The next thing we looked at yesterday the husband of one wife. Again, it means a one-woman man. Personally, I do not believe that it means that if he's had one wife and he now has another wife, that that automatically disqualifies him. Okay, Some people believe that. Uh, no matter what, they even believe it if his first wife died. Okay, If his first wife died and he's remarried, even though the Scripture says that you're free to remarry. But what if... Uh, 
and I used this example a couple times yesterday, if the first wife leaves them, especially shortly thereafter, you know, are they totally disqualified because of something that was done to them? Then the third thing it says, he must be temperate, temperate. And it means uh, sober-minded, okay? When we hear temperate, we think teetotaling, and that's not what's being said at all. But it does mean that it's not someone who is a drunkard, okay? Someone that has a temptation to be drunk. And temperate in all things, okay? Temperate in uh, emotional responses, shall we say, okay? Anger and things like that, okay? You must be temperate. And then it says, Prudent. And of course, we can't say prudent uh, in the states here without thinking of a president some um, 30 years ago that would always say, well, that just wouldn't be prudent, you know. But it's a good word, okay? It just means that they uh, that it's uh, good behavior, respectable type of behavior, self-controlled type of thing. And so this person must be temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, okay, hospitable. There's actually a spiritual gift of hospitality, it doesn't mean that they have to have a spiritual gift of hospitality, but that they are hospitable. In other words, they know how to just be around people, how to offer a glass of water to somebody, how to relate socially to somebody. Hospitable, you know? And you would think, well, everybody knows how to do that. No, 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 no. But when you look at what the Greek means, are you ready for this? Philozenos. Philozenos is a Greek word. Hmm. Philo, that is, is, is the deriva, uh, derivative of um, where we get Philadelphia, okay? And everybody goes, oh, that's brotherly love. It means loving. And then xenos, of course, you hear it in the uh, uh, media all the time that somebody's xenophobic, xenophobic. You hear that everywhere. You know what that word xenos means? Strangers. It means strangers. And so when you hear in the media that somebody's being called xenophobic, they're calling you, you're afraid of strangers. And it's often used in relationship to illegal immigration argument, right? That type of thing. So, well, that's interesting that the word that's translated hospitable literally means this. Are you ready? Loving strangers. In other words, this person is going to be somebody that will be able to initiate a conversation, that will be able to receive someone that he doesn't know and love the stranger and not operate in fear. And you, then again, people say, well, oh, yeah, that's uh, everybody should be like that. Well, they should. Everybody in church leadership, well, they should, but they're not always. Then, into verse 2, able to teach, able to teach. Now, what we're going to find is later on we're going to have a list of uh, deacons. This is overseers, those who are supervisory. Then you're going to have those that are deacons, and that word means uh, servants, okay, servants. And the, the list are basically the same except for this one thing right here, the able to teach. An overseer, one who supervised, now think that through, one who supervised should be able to teach. Because if you're supervising, that means that you're going to be bringing forth understanding and correction as to whatever you're supervising. So this person must be like this. Now look at verse 3. Oh, verse 3 does end the sentence there. I thought it wasn't as long as that. So let's get to the end of this sentence this time. He's not addicted to wine. In other words, he's not a drunkard. King James says he's not given to wine. In other words, he's not always thinking about the drink, and he doesn't get drunk, and he doesn't drink to excess uh, the parallel, the corollary to that is also true. He doesn't eat to excess. You know, a lot of times when you see the scripture passage talk about not drinking, they're tied to gluttony. So it's not gluttony of drink alone, but it's gluttony of food also. So he's not addicted to wine. He's not pugnacious. Pugnacious. Uh, the King James uh, translates that as striker. 
striker. Okay, and the idea is that he's not quarrelsome. He's not violent. He, the, uh, the English Standard says. Okay, he's not a violent person. Is what uh, uh, Lexham says. But he's gentle. He's peaceable, and he's free from the love of money. So you have a but here in verse three, and it gives the positive traits. He's gentle. He's peaceable. You know, he's not quarrelsome in any way. He's not greedy, okay? He's free from the love of money. Uh, the King James, does it add an extra little thing right here? It says, not given to wine, nor a striker, nor greedy of filthy lucre. Oh, that's interesting. That greedy of filthy lucre doesn't appear in the other translations. Hmm. But patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Remember, it was the covetousness that actually uh, finally got Paul's attention when he was Saul. Okay? He said, that, you know, according to the law, I upheld all the law, but when it came to covet. And covet's really interesting because not only is it desiring something or wanting something, it's that desiring and wanting, but then you're really, really uh, upset that somebody else has what you want. Okay? There's a lot of uh, greed and envy involved in that. So all these things are things that must not be found within someone who's an overseer. Uh, I tell you what, that greedy of filthy lucre and free from the love of money, that's pretty rare. Pretty rare. Sad to say, isn't it? Well, my time's up. We'll continue this next time. Again, I'm Dale. I'll see you then. Goodbye.